0: thank you for tuning in to our podcast salt and light where we'll cover foundational principles for being a disciple of jesus christ enjoy this episode with ears to hear and hearts that listen so let's go check the facts with your host also known as my dad casey harrison Welcome back to another episode of Salt and Light Ministries, where we're building foundational relationships with God and kicking out all of the genetically altered Christianity. In this mini-series, Submitting to Sovereignty, we've defined some of God's characteristics. We've defined some of man's characteristics, the majority of man's characteristics. We've discussed the differences between God's control and God's cause. We've also discussed free will and realized that man doesn't really have free will. More accurately, we have the responsibility of choice, according to Scripture. That's been corrupted into the phrase called free will. What we have is the ability to respond to the abilities God gave us. Respond to abilities. Responsibility. In previous episodes, we've also defined submission And the differences between what submission is and what subjugation is. Which brings us to today's content, How Does God Submit to Mankind? Because throughout this entire mini-series, we've been using a common concept that both parties must submit in some shape, form, or fashion to be in a relationship. And This week, we're going to examine God's side of the relationship in regards to mutual submission. Mutual submission. Let's define that first. Mutual, of course, means two or more parties experiencing the same action. An action such as respect. If two or more parties experience respect, it's mutual. There's another action called choice. If two or more parties experience choice, it's a mutual experience. And choice is like a coin. It's got two sides. A coin has heads and tails choice has submit or choose not to submit. And when it comes to healthy relationship decisions, both parties address decisions with mutual respect. That's healthy. Respecting that each party has a choice and choosing to respond to that choice instead of react. So last week we took submission and we defined it. And the definition of submission is the action of accepting to yield To a superior force, will, or authority of another person. Allowing someone else to influence your will. Not subjugation. Remember, subjugation is forcing your will on someone else. We're talking about submission. That's what God intended. When you bring both mutual and submission together, you have mutual submission. The action of two or more parties submitting to each other, sacrificing what they want to the other party. Both parties respectfully respond to their ability of choice in any given situation. The response to the choice between. Relationship requires both parties to choose between respectful submission or disrespectful subjugation. Again, both parties must submit in some shape, form, or fashion. That leaves one little wrinkle, though. Especially when you're adding God into the relationship, Because God can't be limited by our concepts. Remember, he's unlimited. So to submit means to yield to a superior force, but God is the superior force. Both parties involved in a relationship must submit in some shape, form, or fashion. So how is it possible that God can submit to us? We're not a superior force to God. Do you see the wrinkle? Do you see the conundrum? When you apply the definition for mutual submission and what we learned earlier about God's character and God's sovereignty, then it's safe to say that God cannot submit to mankind. Then you add on top of that that God will never ask you to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. And you see examples of that throughout scripture constantly. Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, He created them. God created mankind in His image and likeness. Then God turns around and commands mankind to create. Genesis 128, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. God creates. Then God tells us to reproduce and create. God tells us to do as He did and become more like Him. God first, us second. Another example is Genesis 3.21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. God sacrificed the first animal to cover sin. How do I know he sacrificed an animal? Simple. In the scripture it says God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve. And skins had to come from an animal. Which means blood had to have been shed in order for that animal to be skinned. Then God used the skin of that sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve's sin. So God sacrificed the animal first before he ever gave the law to Moses in Leviticus. The law of sacrifice, a requirement for for different sins to postpone God's judgment. God instituted the sacrifice to postpone judgment. Then he asked his people to do the same. Again, God's saying, do as I did, become more like me. God first, man second. Then in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves mankind. God sent his own son, Jesus, to die on a cross and become the perfect sacrifice to destroy the curse that's captivated mankind out of love then what does God do he commands us to love like Jesus loved in John thirteen thirty four. a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another it's another example God loves then God tells us to love like Jesus loved God says do as I did become more like me God first man second god never asks us to do anything that he hasn't already done but why is that a couple of different reasons god knows we can't do it on our own that's one the second reason is god's a gentleman he didn't choose to subjugate us he didn't choose to force his will on us he might create situations that have an appearance of forcing his will on us but that's not in his character God gave us choice. He doesn't take back what he gave you. Jonah is the perfect example of this. Go read the book of Jonah. It describes a time when God called the prophet Jonah to go to Nineveh. Well, Jonah runs in the opposite direction, jumps on a boat and says, no, sorry, I'm going the other way. And while Jonah is fleeing the ship, God sends a storm, all right? God caused the storm to happen. Yes, Scripture's clear. Everybody on the boat got together. Why is this happening? They cast lots. They realize that is the reason. Jonah fesses up and says, Yep, it's me. So they toss Jonah overboard. And while Jonah's in the ocean, God causes a whale to swallow Jonah. Jonah's in the belly of this whale for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord and accepted the call that God gave him in the first place. You see, many people view this story of the Bible as God forcing Jonah to do God's will. But that's not what happened. Jonah was brought face to face with a choice do what God said to do or die. That's still a choice. If you really examine the story, the whole book of Jonah is actually about God's unending love and mercy towards Jonah. When Jonah was tossed overboard, Jonah was on the verge of death. The well didn't immediately come up and swallow Jonah whole. And you see that in Jonah's prayer to the Lord in Jonah chapter 2, verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah chapter 2, verse 3 is where Jonah is describing the seas overtaking him. He was going to drown. Remember, this is still the guy that had told God no and hasn't said yes yet. So out of the mercy of God, out of God's love, he saved Jonah with a fish. And it still took Jonah three days and three nights to submit to the supreme authority of God. Jonah had a choice. God never forced Jonah's hand. He could have been stubborn and died. Yes, God caused a lot of situations to happen with the weather and the fish, but He never forced Jonah to follow Him. Sometimes God has to bring us to a decision, Him or death. And He'll never force the choice. Another example of God being a gentleman is salvation. Scripture says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's Second Peter 3.9. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, this is just an obvious example. God doesn't force his will on mankind because all of us know someone who hasn't come to the knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of John fourteen six, where Jesus says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God never forces us to do anything. He's always a gentleman. And he never asks us to do anything he hasn't already done. But that brings us back to how can God submit to us? And to accurately answer that question, I'd have to say he can't. In fact, before he created time, he knew that he wouldn't be able to submit to us because we're not a superior force to him. We're only an expression. We're an image and likeness of him. And that's the genius of God. Because he never asked us to do anything he hasn't already done, God submitted to himself so that mutual submission could happen. God's sovereign. He's the ultimate ruler forever and ever. And Jesus is God. And he chose to shed his divinity. Look at John one fourteen, the beginning of that verse. And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us he wrapped himself in flesh and lived as one of us walking this life fully submitted to god the father dying on a cross and being raised from the dead look at hebrews 10 verses 5 through 10 consequently when christ came into this world he said sacrifices and offerings you have not desired talking about god but a body have you prepared for me Talking about Jesus. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have not taken pleasure. Talking about the Levitical law. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. That's Jesus. As it is written of me in the scrolls of the book, when he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. And then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, the law, in order to establish the second, salvation by faith through grace. And by that will, we have been sacrificed through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Then read Hebrews 9.14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Jesus submitted to God to offer God's side of the mutual submission needed for the relationship. So how does God submit to us? Jesus shed His divinity And came down to be just like us, so that God could submit to himself. That's how God fulfilled his side of mutual submission required for a relationship. God doesn't submit to you. He doesn't submit to me. He doesn't submit to Satan. He doesn't submit to sin. And he loved you so much that he was willing to submit to himself. That's how God fulfilled mutual submission. And next week, we're going to search the scriptures to see how God expects us to fulfill our side of the mutual submission. Until next week, be bold, be strong, be blessed.